Well, I've got all God's singing angels right here in the front row. <laughs> in James chapter 3, James addressed the biggest problem in the world. It took him 12 verses to define the problem and six verses to offer a solution. And as any good business consultant will tell you, like Bill Bramer, a problem well defined is a problem half solved. So James very elaborately opened up this problem for us. We're going to look at the problem this week and introduce the solution next week, so you have to come back. The problem, let me read James' words to you rather than try to rephrase it. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways, but anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and is able to bridle the whole body as well. And we read James, this introductory statement to us, James begins dealing with this problem. We say, yeah, the problem is the tongue, but that's not the problem he's talking about. It is a problem, as many of you know, and uh, your hoof and mouth disease is a fairly common uh, thing, which they don't really sell any remedy for. Um, a lot of us have an athlete's mouth. You know, we have so much time with our foot in our mouth. And that is a problem. But James goes beneath the problem. You see, we tend to look at surface issues. If I go home today and turn on the lamp and it doesn't work, you know what I'll do? I'll turn it on again. And if it still doesn't work, I'll unplug the lamp and plug it in again. And then I'll change the light bulb. And then I'll go get another light bulb. And then given my hereditary genes, I will think of some words to call that lamp. <laughs> and I will turn the switch a few more times. And then, again, given my genetic history of my family, I will restrain myself from doing what naturally comes by throwing the lamp against the wall. <laughs> so then I go turn on the ceiling fan, and it doesn't work. And I try the microwave, and it doesn't work. And what I discover is the problem isn't with the lamp. There's a circuit breaker that's tripped. It's a deeper issue than the lamp. And if I spend all my time fussing with the lamp and not go trip the circuit breaker, which is a more systemic, deeper problem, I will never solve the problem of the lamp. Today we look at lamps. Next week we look at circuit breakers. I'll sort of talk about a circuit breaker, so you don't say, well, this was a waste of time today. I know the problem but, that my wife has, but I don't know what to do with it. 
uh, or my husband has. Yeah, it's awfully easy, isn't it, to say this is someone else's problem. But notice what James says. He said, don't become easily teachers because you are more vulnerable to judgment when you teach. See, most teachers think their primary tool is their brain. Most students think the teacher's primary tool is their tongue. And we traffic in words. And the more words you use, the more vulnerable you are to make a mistake. We all stumble in many ways. And all of us say, yeah, I can identify with that. But James says, if you don't stumble in what you say, there are two things about you. First, you are a perfect person. But second, and here's where he begins to introduce the systemic problem, you are able to bridle your whole body. You're able to keep your whole body in check. Now, he's already introduced this concept back in chapter 1. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves. And James says the battle, the issue, isn't the tongue. The issue is a deeper battle. And he now talks about that battle, about keeping a tight rein on your tongue. So he uses a couple of stories. In this defining the problem, the first part of these first six verses, he he talks about, uh, uh, compares the tongue with a number of other things. The first thing he compares the tongue with, he says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now think about that. Think about this couple. They're out plow- they're way back in the day, way, way back. And they're out there plowing the garden. They want to have veggies in the fall, so they're plowing the garden. She's pulling the plow, and he's back there steering it. They get down to the center of the row. They switch around now. He's pulling the plow, and she's steering it, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Man, it's tough work. And they hear this noise off in the thing. Sounds like thunder. And, and, and they look off there, and there's this herd of horses. These big, powerful animals. And they're running across the thing, and the dust is coming up. And, 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 and they look at those horses, and they say, Can you imagine what it would be like if we could get one of those horses? One of, they didn't call them horses. I don't know what they call them. They're one of these big creatures. And hook them up to this plow. And the husband says, I could go play golf, and you could do this by yourself with the horse. <laughs> he never lived to see the horse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but how do you do that? All that potential, the power, the strength in that big animal. But I'm not going to get near that big thing, man. They got teeth, they got big these things on their feet. How in the world do you take that potential and turn it into power to do your work? And the only answer is you have to control it. You've got all that potential, all that strength, but you can't do anything with it. You can't turn that potential into power if you can't control it. And somewhere, somebody along the way found a way to do that. With a thing about that big. A little piece of metal about that big. Called a bit. I remember Dahl, our big, big workhorse. I mean, she was big. 
I was maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years old, the first time my uncle taught me how to put the bridle on doll. And I could put that bridle on doll, seven or eight, I could walk under her belly almost. She was that much bigger than me. So I put that bridle on, and I climb up on her back, big workhorse, my legs are like this, and I could control that horse because there was that little piece of metal, seven-year-old kid making that great big horse. And then after a horse is well-trained, you can just say G and haw and talk to the horse. G means left, haw means right. But you can't get that horse to pull the hay rake or to pull the plow if you can't control it. The issue is control. The principle is that little thing controls that big thing. And he says, now, occasional slow in the uptake, let me give you another one. Or take the ships as an example. Oh, they're so large, driven by strong winds. They are steered by a, an, an, a tiny, and James selected a word that means least significant, very tiny compared to the ship. A very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Huh. Same principle. Got this huge ship. Guy says, man, you we're carrying all this stuff all the way around the lake. Oh, that's exhausting. And you know, see those logs? If we could tie a bunch of those logs together, maybe they tried it. Hmm? Put the stuff on there, and we'll go across it. And they get halfway, the storm comes up, and boom, the thing, they can't control it. Somebody came up with this idea of a little rudder, this tiny little rudder. The control, and so they turned the potential of flotation and, and movement across the water. They turned that potential into power with a very small thing called a rudder. And notice what it says, wherever the pilot desires to go. I used to use this thing in, in leadership classes, uh, talking about how you control things. And, and I said, if you want to control the horse, what do you have to control? Well, the bit. If you want to control the bit, what do you have to control? Well, the rain. Okay, you're moving in the right direction. If you want to control the horse, or if you want to control the ship, don't look at the bit, don't look at the rudder. To control the ship, you've got to control the pilot. To control the horse, you've got to control the rider. It all gets down to who is steering the ship. Who's driving the car that goes off into the crowd because of some loony tune behind the wheel? It's not the car's fault. It's not the horse's fault. It's not the ship's fault. Wherever the inclination of the pilot wants to go. How do I control my tongue? Got to get control of me. James goes on, he compares the rudder and the bit. Talked about the bit, he talked about the rudder, and in verse 5 he says, likewise the tongue. 
like the bit to the horse, like the rudder to the ship, likewise the tongue, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire, and now he gives us a third illustration. How great a forest is set on fire by a small spark. Somebody throws a cigarette butt out. And a whole forest goes up. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And again, you think of the potential of the tongue. The potential of the tongue to say to a little child, you never do anything right. Or to say, good job, buddy. Or, hey, no, that, that, no you didn't get that right. Let me, let me show you. Let's, let's, let me tell you how to do that right. Or, you're disgusting. Or, that wasn't right. That wasn't the right way to do that, but let's talk about it. You see? But this incredible potential has enormous ability to do evil or to do good. And the key to turning the potential into positive power is to control it. So he, verses 1 through 6, compared the tongue to three little things that control big things. And then in verses 7 through 12, he contrasts the tongue with, some, with two things. First, he says, now look at, the, at, at verse 7. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. And, and we understand why, because we go to Genesis 1.28, where, where uh, uh, God said, uh, tells us that God blessed the people, he, the man and woman he had created in his own image, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. So James says it's happening. You know, every kind of, the horse, <laughs> the elephant, all these creatures we have been able to tame. They have been tamed and are being tamed by humankind. And then he drops this little thing on us. No one can tame the tongue. Really? This is depressing. <laughs> you know why it's so depressing? Because it's so true. <laughs> Maybe not in your life. Yeah, probably in your life, too. <laughs> and, and what makes that thing what he said about no one can tame the tongue is he said the tongue is a fire. 
he said this just above, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of our life on fire. And it is set on fire by hell. And even though we have been able to tame birds and reptiles and sea creatures and, and, and beasts, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So he says the big problem with this tongue is our inability to control it. Then verses 9 through 12, he compares it, so he, he, he compares our ability to tame everything else with our inability to tame our own tongue. And then he compares our tongue or contrasts our tongue with nature, with creation. And he talks about this inconsistency of our tongue. A lot of you use your tongue very well at times. Probably everybody has said something nice to somebody sometime. But man, can we do some evil with it. Can we inflict some pain with it? With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with the same tongue we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. And James explains why it shouldn't be. Because it's contrary to everything else in nature. Look what he says next. He compares it to a fountain. He says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. It comes up out of the earth. It's either a poison water, bitter water, or it's sweet water. Consistently. Consistently. Always. And he asks, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? The guy had to chopping down his fig tree. You say, what are you chopping down your fig tree? Well, not give me any grapes. You say, you moron? It's a fig tree. It's never going to produce grapes. Nature is consistent. Fig trees produce fig trees. Grapevines produce grapes. Salt water Bitter water springs produce bitter water. Fresh water springs produce fresh water. Only us doofus human beings are inconsistent with nature. Out of the same mouth come some of the most glorious things. What? Was that beautiful this morning? Wow. I'm sure none of them have problems. They sing so beautifully. <laughs> no I teach the Bible and I say awful things
My brethren and sisters, sisterns, is it brethren and cisterns? <laughs> my brother, speaking of fountains, my brothers and sisters, this ain't right. This ain't right. All the potential, all the good we could do with this medium called speech can be turned into something so vile and so bad. James moves toward a solution. He said, who is wise and understanding among you? But we know from reading James' earlier things about being doers of the word and not hearers only. I think James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Don't say a word. Don't tell me. Show me. I want you to read those last six verses, verses 13 through 18 this week, and see if you can see how James is working to a solution to this uncontrollable tongue, because there is a solution. There is a solution. As you read those verses, think about the circuit breaker, the more systemic issue. The issue isn't the tongue. It's much deeper than that.